0: All right, you may be seated. So, If you've got a Bible, we have worked our way uh, through 1 Corinthians and uh, church gone wrong. And you know, this has been a pretty interesting study, right? And so we've got, made it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and uh, prayerfully, we'll close it out tonight. All right, so we'll, we'll be wrapping up 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we know up to this point, um, the church here at Corinth, uh, as we said, had a great start. Uh, It was right in the midst of a very wicked city, um, a city that had a lot of sin and a lot of um, worldly living. And so right in the midst of that, Paul, on his missionary journey, uh, planted a church. And uh, Paul was a church planter, and he moved on, as you know, uh, shortly after he planted the church. And so some other leaders were coming forward, and some other leaders were helping they're at the church, but Paul got word that the church at Corinth, that there were some issues there. And at some point in time, that someone wrote Paul and told them of the issues that were going on, so he knew about them. They actually, several times, were asking Paul if he could come back to address those issues um, but Paul could not, and we read later on in some of his letters, he says not that he lacked the desire, but he lacked the opportunity. Um, Paul was dealing with some medical issues, and if you read the story of Paul and you read um, the history of Paul, you know he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was <laughs> there was a lot of things that happened to Paul, and so he could not come back. But he wanted to write a letter, and so that's what we have in this. Is this was literally a letter to the church at Corinth, and I would just. Um, would have loved to have been there to see them open this letter to read it from the Apostle Paul. And so, as he um, had someone uh, write this down, of course, we know now that it was under inspiration of the of the Holy Spirit, and it's part of Scripture, and it's part of what we have together um, in the Bible. And so, um, he he he's going through the list. He's going through, you know, women and head coverings. He's going through their. Um, their conduct at the Lord's Supper. He's going through how they treat um, the, uh, the lost people. He's going through how they treat one another. And so, chapter 13 opens up and he, he begins with talking about love. And he describes this kind of love different than any other love you could ever imagine. And of course, we as Christians, we know the love from God. That's what is most important. And we see that uh, throughout the Bible which I find it uh, interesting as well as we're going through Deuteronomy, we're getting to chapter seven this week on Sunday morning. It's the first time that that God tells them that he did what he did because he loves them and and it's to the, to the Israelites. And so to see that work together to where we know that God is love and the revelation of God being loved. And then once we get to Jesus, we know that he was the fleshly representation of love and he literally lived that out. Now, through the Holy Spirit, we can have God's love in our heart, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love people like God loves them. And that's amazing, because when you think about it, uh, our weak, pitiful efforts at love, when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, though, we can love people like God loves them. And, and it's so important for us to get that, not just in a church setting, as Paul is describing here, too, but in a marriage A lot of times I share these scriptures in a marriage, the immediate context is not uh, in a marriage, but the love context is. And when you really hear the description of love, you understand in a marriage how important it is to have God's kind of love. And when you are married to another person, you know, that's what you need, God's kind of love. And um, especially if you're married to somebody like me, right? You definitely need God's kind of love um, to, to be married to someone like me. And you don't point any fingers either at somebody you might be thinking of as well. But anyhow, uh, you you get the picture in a marriage. In parenting, we need that kind of love, right? Um, I myself has been have been challenged more as a parent and God's kind of love than any other time uh, in my life so far. Now I haven't I haven't made all the way through life yet, but up to this point, uh, your kids know how to push all the right buttons, you know. And at times, you could lose your cool, or you could. You know, you can come to a point where, you know, you have to love them for who they are, mistakes and all, warts and all, and, you know, to love them even though they're wrong, but they think they're right, and they like to tell you that they're right, you know? And uh, you can tell I have teenagers in the house, right? So uh, you, you can go through the process of that, but to love them like God loves them, to love them like God sees them, it's a whole new challenge as a parent. To see that because you want to love them the way that God loves them, and in a church you need it as well because you have all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of people, all different kinds of uh, people meshing together, different personalities, different backgrounds, um, some uh, a different levels of spiritual um, life as well, and all that comes together. And as a body of Christ, we are to love one another not just with a worldly love but with God's love, and that's what Paul is really digging at here. He's like. You know, you have clamored and pursued and desired these spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are great. Um, spiritual gifts are a part of the church. We talked about spiritual gifts um, a little bit a couple uh, Wednesday nights ago. He's saying these are great to desire these things and to, to want these things. And it's great to desire, um, you know, uh, uh, this, this leadership type of stuff. But um, above that, as he begins to make his case, the hallmark are the 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 benchmark of uh, the picture of a true mature Christian that walks with the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit is marked with love, and that's what you should desire. That's what you should pursue more than anything else is to have the love of God and to love people like God loves them. And Paul spells it out. He did a he did a great job um, under inspiration of Scripture to say you know love. In verse 4, love suffers long, and love is kind, and love uh, does not envy, and love does not parade itself, It does not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it Is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This week, someone asked me about someone, and I said, you know what, I think they, and I, I, I was believing something about them that wasn't for the good. And you know what? The scripture rang true in my heart. And I said, you know what? That's not true love. Because if I truly love someone, I'm going to believe the best of them, right? That's to believe all things. And so that's my confession to you tonight. I I believed something bad against someone and their intention when I should have believed good for them, because that's what true love is. True love gives people the benefit of the doubt, right? True love gives someone that, that part to say, I believe it, and I trust it, and I even, above all things, I hope for the best in someone. So we left off in verse 8, and we begin just shortly on verse 8 here, but I want to read verse 8 through 13, and then I want to backtrack and go back and kind of break it down. So he's, he's following through this process, and verse 8 comes along, and he says this, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are, if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Well, if we could just read a scripture for our country, wouldn't that be a great one to do, right? Uh, when, when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I have also been uh, fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I'm going to tell you, if you had just one chapter to pick out of the Bible to read and to understand, and in chapter 13, a great chapter, I mean, to really catch the depth of what Paul is talking about here um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is really, really It goes as deep as anything else you can imagine uh, that we can talk about in the Bible. And and he turns here talking about the permanence of love. Why is love so important? Why is love such such a benchmark for believers in Christ? Well, first he said, love never fails. So you think about it. There's a lot of things in life that, you know, will come and go, right? I was thinking about fads, right? And, you know, for kids, you know, um, Courtney's going back to the old style of shoes, which reminded me when I was growing up, some of my old style shoes. And I was like, don't you want a pair of ruse? Anybody remember the Roos? Uh they, they had the little pocket in the side of them, and you put the little quarter or whatever you could fit in them so that you could carry around a quarter and thought she was really cool. Um, another pair of shoes I loved was the, the Reebok Pump Up Jams. Remember those? They had a pump on them. Now, you ask yourself, what would a man like me need for pump up shoes for? But I really did get a pair. My dad, mom and dad bought me a pair. And uh, believe it or not, I wore them with my parachute pants. Y'all remember parachute pants? I, I remember getting me a first pair of parachute pants. Man, I thought I could moonwalk anywhere, you know. Uh, and thinking about the, tre- you know, the trends that come and go. But the good part is now that I'm older, it's all coming back. So I can start wearing all my stuff and be cool again. But uh, maybe not. Miss Ann sand no. didn't know. But I think about just trends, right? Trends in clothing, trends in the world, Um, things that you watch when you was a kid, even in entertainment. Some movies you watch, and you're like, you go back and watch them, you're like, wow, that was really, really bad. You know what I mean? Like the the effects were bad, the things were bad, and you're like, man, how in the world did we ever at one time think this is good? Well, just as fads come along, entertainment comes along, um, people. Sometimes when you're a kid, you idolize some people. And then once you get older, you realize they're probably something you should have, someone you shouldn't have idolized, right? Like they were some, something about them or something that when you were younger. But once you got older, you understood they was not quite the hero that you thought they were, you know? And so um, as you look to these things, you realize all those things are not permanent, but they're, tra- they're trends, they're fads, they come and go. Well, in Christian circles, we have the same thing, right? We have the same thing with a lot of different things that will come and go and come and go and fads. And even through church history, we've, we, we have seen several tr- uh, trends and several fads. But Paul is saying it's not about the trends. It's not about the fads. What never fails is love. It's timeless. It's something that throughout all of ages, whoever you are, wherever you are in church history, if you have love, it never fails. It never fails. And for me, as a, as a pastor, this gives me great hope, because it gives me great hope to know that if I can have God's love for people, everything else is going to take care of itself. Listen, as a parent, if you have God's love in your heart, everything else is going to take care of itself. It, as, as a husband or a wife, if you have God's love, and you are exhibiting that in your life, and you're living by that, love never fails. It never, ever fails. It's not going to be here and it's going to be gone. No, it's permanent, 100% permanent that if you love like God loves and Paul is encouraging them, all those fads, all those temporary things, they can come and go, but the love's going to endure. Love will never fail. Uh, Another thing I think about just how we try to provide for our families, you know, material possessions will come and go, you know. Um, uh, We have uh, houses will come and go cars will come and go. You know, They all those things will come and go, and, and yet love and the love of God never, ever fails. And when we treat people in the church as a brother and sister in Christ, and we love them like God loves them, that never fails either. And only when we uh, put our input in it only when we live by the flesh and decide to love someone in the way that we shouldn't love them, or not love them the way that we should love them, that's where the issues come in. That's where jealousies come in. That's where arguments come in. That's where uh, you know envious comes in. That's where this conflict comes, and that's what Paul's seeing at Church at Corinth. He looks at these people and he's like, "You have." You say you're brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet you have desired after all these things which were okay for a moment or for a fad, but what you should pursue is love because it never fails. And so he tells them, he, he, he tells them here, he says, but um, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. So when we talk about the gifts of prophecy, we're not talking about when some people preach, they call that prophetic or prophecy, the gift of prophecy, um, and, and when there is a, a sense of prophecy when you preach God's word, um, but really what the word here means is to announce or to proclaim something that's going to happen in the future. And so this kind of prophecy would be something that you would write down and add to canon of scripture. You would add to the Bible and so there they didn't have the written word, and so people would speak prophecy. They would speak something that was going to come to pass, and even through the Old Testament we see it, right? A lot of prophets in the Old Testament, and you see a lot of the prophets. uh, As a matter of fact, the second uh, half of the Bible in the Old Testament are prophets, right? They're prophecies, and they prophesy something, and people would write that down, and that would come to pass, and they knew that was God's word, and so he's saying even now there are gifts of prophecy but they will be done away with. What happened to them? Well, when the written word come, and we have the Bible, and we have the canon of Scripture, we know the written God's revelation to man is right here in God's word. And through that word, we can have that now. And Paul's saying, listen, you, could, you can go after this gift, but yet one day it's going to be done away with. There are tongues, um, and talking about the tongues and the language we talked about, but they will cease. Uh, there will be knowledge. This was a word that would come. That would be understanding of scriptures, but it will be done away with. So he gives us these three things: prophecies and tongues and knowledge, and it would be done away with. And he says, "For we know in part, and we prophesy in part." In other words, he's saying on the spectrum of where we are growing in church history and throughout the revelation of who Christ is and who God is, we only know in part. But when the perfect comes, talking about what kind of perfect is he talking about? He's talking about the written word. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the full understanding of who God is and who Christ is with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the perfect comes. That's the that's what we have today in the world. That's what we have as in the church. That's what we have as body the body of Christ and believers. And you know, I think a lot of times we discount ourselves in the in the realm of history because we always say, well, you know, if I, could, if I could have just been there and, and, and I could see the Red Sea parting, I would have believed so much more about God. You know, or if I could have been there and saw, you know, saw David throw the rock and hit the giant, then I, could, I would believe God a whole lot more, you know. But listen, when you read the Bible, you understand that right now is the time that we have where we understand the fullest revelation of God save the second coming of Jesus Christ than we've ever had in the world before. And so for us as Christians, I mean, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the written word of God and we have the body of believers and not only just the body of believers now, we have a historical account of people who've trusted in Jesus Christ that lives have been radically changed. And it's been like this for over a couple thousand years. And think about these first century believers here. No history, no past, no written word. And here they were in the church trying to figure all this out. And, and coming from a pagan background, coming from an understanding of not knowing who God was or is, and all of a sudden they see this, they hear this prophecy, and they hear these tongues, and they hear um, all this knowledge, and yet Paul comes now and says, those are great, you're pursuing them, but that's not the whole story. Because when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And he's saying, those kind of things now you are pursuing after them, but they're just partially, they're just partial revelation of God and who he really is. So then he says, he gives an example. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. And, uh, you know, like I said, as we talk about a lot about kids and parenting, um, in my home right now, Courtney is 12 years old, and so... Um, she wants to know why, right? She's a, she, she likes to ask the question, why? You know, like, why can't I have Snapchat? I'm like, well, uh, you can't have Snapchat because um, I'm, I, we're not going to allow you to have it, first off, and I don't have to explain that, but I will explain it to you. And then she says, well, don't you trust me? So, yes, I trust you, but I don't trust the people that you're going to be snapping. Well, you'll know everybody that I snap. I said, well, that's not true because that's not the way that it works. But anyways, I was like, well, I'll I'll think about it and I'll pray about it. But I told her, I said, you see, there are people out there that don't have the best interest in heart and you can be easily fooled. No, I won't, Dad. No, I won't, Dad. I promise. One month later, she has Roblox, right? And so on Roblox, it's a game they play and they get certain coins and monies and houses and cars, and they... And you got to pay Robux, which is a ripoff, all right? So you pay these bucks to them. They give you more stuff to put, you know, build more houses and fake stuff like that. So she comes in devastated. She says she needs 10 more dollars. This was probably like, you know, just a month later for her her Robux. I'm like, what do you need 10 more dollars for? She says, well, somebody asked me for my password and I gave it to them. And they took all my Robux and stole all my stuff. (laughs) I was like, see, great example. You, you just got ripped off of Robux. Imagine, uh, just imagine, because you think like a child. You thought since they were someone in authority, you trusted them. That's the reasoning of a child, right? That's, that's, that's simple-minded. That's just looking at your sight. That's not knowing what's outside of your world. And so that's what Paul's trying to explain to him here. You are a child. You're reasoning like a child. You don't know the big picture. Paul says, that's the way I was when I was younger, but then... I became a man. And when you become an adult, you become grown up, you understand um, that there are things that in your past that you were a part of or had that now, as Paul says, I did away with childish things. So as a Christian, we're expected to grow. As the church, we are expected to grow. And that's one of my goals as as a Christian each and every year, to grow as a Christian more than I was the year before that. And let me tell you, if you're a Christian and you have been a Christian for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and you've never grown, like you don't grow and you don't become more mature in your walk with Christ, there's a problem there because we're expect, the expectation is for you to grow you got to grow in God's Word. We talk about this all the time as core values of our church. you got to, you got to connect in worship. you got to grow in God's Word. you got to serve the body of Christ, and you have to reach the neighbors. You've got go, got to tell others about Jesus Christ. If you participate or you try to commit to those four things, you will begin to grow in your walk with Christ. And as you grow each and every year, you take one of those things and say, here's what I'm going to work on this year. Here's what I need to work on in my life. And... When you grow up, you do away with a lot of childish things in your life. And, you know, just in our relationships alone, you know, how we treat people that offended us in the past that we no longer treat them that way. Right. Um, How many relationships have been restored when people really get close to God and realize what true forgiveness is? I mean, how many marriages have been restored? How many lives have been changed just by people growing and understanding of those things? And they don't get away with it anymore because they're they're now adults. They're now mature in Christ, and you got to do away with those childish things. And on top of that, how frustrating it is, and how uh, you know how discouraging it is when when you, someone is holding you accountable, or they want to hold you accountable, but you still are doing those childish things, right? I mean, think about having a child that never grows up, and you have to continually walk in there and do the same things over and over and over again, and they never take responsibility, and they never grow up. You'll be like, come on, what's wrong with you? You know, at my house, we have these disappearing trash bags. Like, they you know, we, we take the trash out to the garage and then from the garage out to the cans, right? Well, somehow, some way, uh, my two boys cannot see the trash bags in the garage. So it'll get one there and I just think, well, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to see how long will it last. Well, it lasts until the second one gets there. And I'm like, did you not see the trash bags in the garage? Oh, no, dad. Sorry, I didn't see them. <laughs> yeah, right. You almost trip over them when you come out the door, like very frustrating, like if you don't if you don't grow up and start taking responsibility, then there's, you know, there's going to be... You, the expectation is for you to grow. Same with God in our life. How many times do you think God looks at us just as Christians and go, come on, are you serious? You're still doing that? Like you still Are you still acting that way? You're still treating people that way? You're still stumbling in your walk? Like, come on, it's time to grow up. It's time to be a man. It's time to put away those childish things. So personally, we got to take that responsibility, but also... As a church, we've got to take the, that responsibility. I, I think for just us as a church, as we grow, you know, I mean, as a pastor, as I grow, you know, I mean, you as a as church member grows. You know, you have to set some expectations for yourself to realize that when you, when you first started, you can't keep doing the same things over and over again. The expectation is for you to grow. The expectation is for you to serve. The expectation is for you to reach out and witness. That's what God expects. And for us as a church to grow as a body of Christ, that we are to be seeking God's word. We are to be rooted in theological um, understanding of who God is. We should not be falling for all the, the whims of the world and all the things that come and go. We should be established. And Paul's telling them the same thing. You've looked to the culture. You let the world define you. And now, as a church, you have no understanding of what to go after. I'm telling you, like a like a man, you should put away those childish things and pursue the things that God is calling you to, which is uh, partly what He says. So He uses the illustration of a child. Now He moves on. He uses the illustration of a mirror. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. This is the second part of uh, verse. Was that thirteen? No, not thirteen might be 12. Uh, anyways, I can't read a little bitty number right there. But <laughs> I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So he uses now a mirror and dimly. And uh, you've heard me tell this story before, and it's becoming more and more true in my life. When I was growing up and I would helped my dad work on something, he'd always yell, "Get me a light. <laughs> I was like, man, I can see perfectly fine. What do you need a light for? And now I'm working on something I tell the boys, "Get me a light, you know why? Because I can't see right? you got when you turn a light on, it you can see a whole lot better, right? You can go in somewhere, you can see it. He's using the same example in a mirror that's dimly lit, you can barely see, but he's saying, when you see that, it's like a mirror that has you know not as much revelation or understanding who God is, but yet you know when that is revealed, all of a sudden from a mirror to something that's face-to-face. Like how clear it is when you come in contact with somebody face-to-face and you come into contact with something that's right before your very eyes. Like, oh, wow, it's unbelievable. You know, like I never noticed this and I did not see this because in a mirror I didn't understand this. But now I see the full revelation of who you are and I can see it face-to-face and I got it. So he uses a child, he uses a mirror, and then he says he uses in parts, he says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, I, I shall know fully just as I, I also have been fully known, which is interesting. It's interesting because he says, as you walk in your relationship with God, it's two ways that you are to be, you, you shall know fully and you shall also be fully known that, that your character your understanding who you are in Christ becomes clearer and clearer, and those who know you, you become more and more defined and clearly identified. And I think for us as Christians, you know, one of the things that we try not to do is stick out in the world. We try to blend in with the world. But when you read the Bible, you understand that we're a, pe- we're a peculiar people, right? Just look around how peculiar y'all are. Anyway, you see, we're, we're different. We, we should not blend in with the world. And the closer we get to Christ, the more we should stand out. And you shall fully know it, and people shall fully know it. You know, the people that you work with, as they see you exhibiting the Christ-like qualities in your life, you should, be, you should start to stick out to them. Like, hey, the, he don't talk like we talk. She don't, she don't act like we act. They don't do these things, and it should be clearly identified. And in a church, and even in our setting now, just as we should know fully that we should be growing to be identified as one who loves God and who has a relationship with the Lord and is completely different, radically different. Our spouses should see that. Our kids should see that. You know, those closest to us and brothers and sisters in Christ should see that. Our friends should see that. And, and just as they, you, you, are to be, you are to know fully, but you shall be fully known as well. And, you know, when we uh, are somewhere and someone decides to do something sinful, they shouldn't say, hey, we ought to get Ted to do that with us, right? They ought to think, man, Ted wouldn't do that with us because he's different. You know, he's, there's something different. He wouldn't participate in that. That's a good thing. And I think for us as our kids, you know, we, we talk about peer pressure a lot as kids. But, you know, peer pressure really never goes away, right? I mean, even when you get older, you get peer pressure. E- even when you get into marriage and you get into raising your parents, as parents, you know, the, the, the thing about parenting is that, you know, uh, all of a sudden it becomes real attractive to be the cool parents, right? That everybody wants to be the cool parents. Everybody wants to have the kids to have fun. They want to be their kids' best friends. Well, I'm glad that I may be some best friends or friends with my kids, but first and foremost, I'm their parent, Right? Like, I must be their parent first, and I must love them, yes, but yet they must know that I'm going to hold them to a standard that I've been called to hold them to. And, I, and they should know that. And they should know that as a parent. They should know that as a spouse. They should know that as a brother and sister in Christ. They should know that as someone that works in your workplace or someone that you're in your community. But hey, those people are different. They don't act like that. And they, just as we grow closer to Christ, we should be even easier identified to be with Christ. Like it shouldn't be a surprise when we tell somebody we're Christian. You know, I think sometimes people are shocked. Like, oh, he's a Christian? She's a Christian? (laughs) I mean, because sometimes we don't do a good job of doing that. But Paul's saying, when you understand this and you know it, you'll be easily identified. And, And so as he's explaining this to them, he's saying, listen, the gifts can come and go. The tongues can cease. The prophecies can be done away with. The knowledge can be done away with. But love? When you pursue love and you exhibit love in your life, guess what? That's something that will change who you are and it will change how people see you and understand that you're, you're radically different than anything else. And that's something we should be identifying. Paul's encouraging them. He's pushing them towards that. Here's what you should be pursuing instead of pursuing these temporary, momentary things. And then he closes out with a great, great verse. He closes out with a great um, statement. He says, but now abide But now, abide. faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So we take these things for, for what he says, now abide, which is very interesting. The word abide means to continually, continually dwell, right? That was very hard for me to say. I don't know why, but it's dwelling in a moment, not a fleeting, passing thing. So he's saying as a mature Christian who's pursuing after the will of God or a a mature church that's wanting to do this, he says, number one, abiding is this virtue of faith. That your faith, you trust in God more than you trust in anything else in this world. And you know what's neat going through the book of Deuteronomy? I've never really expanded on this before, understood this before. It's talking about, you know, when the Lord tells the nation of Israel not to make any graven images. And I just thought, man, that was kind of a strange commandment, you know? And like, how could that apply to our lives today? Because a lot of times we don't take something physical and make something that we would worship, per se. Um, and some, some do. But as far as uh, modern, you know, evangelical Christians, there's nothing, there's nothing that we idolize as far as like a certain, uh, you know, a certain thing or a certain object. Um, but when you understand the root of what he's telling them there, He's telling them that in our life, that we must have faith and trust in God, regardless of any physical thing we may see in our life. Because, you know, when, when the Old Testament, when a nation, when something happened, and they were praying to the sun god, and they had deliverance, they would make a sun, and they would worship the grave image of the sun, and they would take that sun and carry it around with them, and they would use it to prop themselves up, and they would worship this this image in the image of a sun god because it was something physical and tangible they could take somewhere to say, look, we have a sun god, and this is our sun, this is the representation, this is our graven image of the sun god, and we must have physical things. And God tells the nation of Israel, you shall have nothing physical when you go take the promised land. He tells them, he tells them right up, he says, I will fight for you. Think about this now. They were looking over there and, and could see and hear and know about these giants. Fortified walls. I mean, when you read the story of Jericho, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, the, the fortified walls that were there. And, and just the, the, the amount of, of people alone and just the, the buildings and the nation of Israel had no weapons. They had no, they, they had no uh, army. They had, they had none of those things that would come and, and, and take on this whole nation to be able to possess this land. But God tells them, you don't need that because I am your God and I will fight for you. Wow. And, and you want to talk about trusting in God because God was the only thing that they had, right? And, and they went and they had to live by faith. And it's the same thing we have to live by. Is by faith. We have to trust God even in the midst of circumstances, even in the midst of um, bleak uh, understanding of what's going on in our life. we got to trust him more than we could trust what we actually see with our eyes. Or God's not going to give us some things. And, we, and a lot of times I know we live like, kind of like Gideon, you know, God, if you could just give me a fleece, right? And then wait, not just to fleece, but make it wet, and then make it dry, and then make it wet. We, we always want a sign. We always want God to do this, but, but yet when we're mature in Christ, we got to trust God regardless of the circumstances. Like regardless of what we see, He challenges us to trust in God. And you know, a lot of times that's where we're challenged the most. When we abide in faith to do, for God to do something we could never imagine in our lives, in our church, in our family, Right? And that's what he's saying here. We got to trust God more than what we can physically see in the world. And we should be marked by people who trust in God. If, if you need a, a something in your life, you need something for your family, you need something for your marriage, you need something for our church. I was just thinking about how God has worked in our church to grow our faith, right? How we've had to abide in faith. And, and, and through all the process that we've had through families and people, and how every time God has shown himself faithful and every time we, we think that when we look to the world and we say there's no chance, there's no hope, but yet we're still just going to trust in God. And how many times has God delivered? Every time. And that's the way you should believe. That's the way we should be abiding in. We should abide in trust and hope in God, not in any physical or tangible, but in who God is and what he has done in his faithfulness. So he said not only faith, but he says hope. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, hope is the trust and hope in God that, that never gives up and never runs out on us. That we know that we trust in God and we have a hope to live. We have a hope to exist because of who God is. And that's, that's really very, very helpful in, in a church, right? Um, for us together as a body of Christ, to know that our hope is found in God, not in this world, not in our government, not in anything other, then we know we can exist because God says that until uh, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against us, right? We have a hope to keep going and we know regardless of what wall we hit, regardless of where we come from, we always have this hope that God is not done, he's, it's not over, and we have a hope to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And sometimes that's all we can do, right? Is put one foot in front of the other. And that's the way we should live. In our marriage, sometimes it gets to that point. In our health, sometimes it gets to that point, right? Like, man, all I can do is know that God still has hope for me, and I'm going to put one foot in front of the other foot, and I'm going to trust in God because I know I have this hope in Him. And parenting, I talk to people all the time, and it's sad because you read some of the stats and you read some of the things about young couples. Many of them don't even want to have kids, They're like, uh, the condition of the world and where we live, I don't even want to have children. But for us as Christians, we should never lose the hope as parents that our our children have hope because of God. Regardless of what we see, regardless of what's happening in our world, we still have hope because of who God is. So we abide in faith, we abide in hope, and then love. We talked about this love. He's defined this love. But what I really want to zero in as we close tonight, what he, he closes with, he says all three of these things are good, but the greatest of these is what? Love. I mean, is that, not, is that not unbelievable? Is that not something that should challenge us when we look to this to see that above all these other things, the one thing that is eternally marked is love? And we look to the Bible, we know God is love, and we know that we're supposed to be marked by love because Jesus told us if you want people want to know you're my disciples, and they'll know you are my disciples by what? If you have love for one another, and he and he also tells us in First John that God is love, and those who love is God's people, and and all these things that are pursuing, they'll one day will fade away, but yet the one thing that will stay above all else, and the greatest thing we could pursue is love. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how much junk. I've chased after in my life that really don't matter anyways, right? Um, I, I can remember, I guess it was kind of like when you was growing up and um, when, I was, when we first got married and Aaron and I, we started, we started having a family and we tried every kind of car that we could. And one day we decided, you know what, Tanner was at the time when he was about to be in a wheelchair and uh, for a little while and we were thinking, well, how in the world are you going to get a wheelchair in a car, back of a car? And we thought, well, I guess we're just going to break down and buy a minivan. <laughs> we're like... I remember going, looking at us like, am I really buying a minivan? And Roger didn't help anyone because when I saw him, he goes, give me your man card. You got a minivan. Give me your man card, right? But uh, I was thinking about, well, who really cares if you got a minivan, right? Like, I mean, how, how minute is that to think that someone would think differently of you because you had a minivan rather than some other type of car? And then I, I think about just different cars and vehicles in your life that you have, and you want this kind of car, you want that kind of car. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter and in the grand scheme of things. When you get older, you realize those things don't matter, and and, and even just not even just the car, just um, you know, just the way people think about you, you know, for for the way that you live your life. And so many of us try to hide so much stuff from people that really don't matter. You know, it just doesn't matter. And with and, and the older you get, the real, the more the less, uh, you know, the less uh, concern you have with nonsense. You know, and that's what Paul was saying like here he's saying, quit the nonsense, like pursue the things that matter. Faith, hope, and especially love above everything else. We are to pursue those things in our life. And so, you know, if we were to look to this letter and consider our own life, is there evidence of us pursuing God's love in our marriage? Think about that. Like, are you loving your spouse with this kind of love? Are you pursuing that in your life to where you love and you're suffering long and you're kind and you do not envy? You know, all these things, is that something you're pursuing above all things else in your marriage? Are you pursuing that as a parent? Are you pursuing that as a coworker? Are you pursuing that as a church member? That when you come, it's not about finding the you know a popular gift or trying to uh, get it your way or your desires or your understanding of those things, but you're willing to pursue love of God and the love of people above and beyond everything else. Everything else. Beyond your preference of carpet, beyond your preference of music, right? We had a little bit of different music tonight, didn't we? That guy has an accent when he sings, doesn't he? I was wondering if it's kind of like Siri, where you can change his accent, like change it to like a Southern accent or something, or maybe like a, I think it's like on an English accent or something. But anyways, maybe I'll work on that. But you, you know, you, you just, the, the preference of, of, of a song or the preference of a style or a preference of where we sit or a preference of where, I had to throw that one in there, by the way, because we get real serious about the way we sit on, but anyhow, where we sit, where we park, we get so we get so up, you know, upset over these things that really don't matter. Are we pursuing love above all else at church? Above all else with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we pursuing love in the world? And that's what Paul's challenge is to these. You see all these temporary things, the nonsense things that are passing away. And now that you have full revelation, you understand who God is, pursue the, the things that really, really matter. And so as we do that, we should be marked by those things in our life, that we should be fully knowing God and in others fully seeing God in us to understand. Now, they're, they're, they're growing in their walk. You know, they're getting better. They're getting stronger in their walk with Christ, and we ought to see that every, every year, every month as we pursue a walk with God and pursue um, the, the things of God in our life. So, Uh, I want to pray for us, then we'll turn on the live stream. We'll talk about some questions here in chapter 13. as We wrapped up chapter 13 before we get to 14 um, next week. So let me pray.